Welcome to Paddy Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable to a performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. I played the Seed 2 Pro Plus, which is geared for lower spin from the driver, a lower kind of ball flight, more run out, and gives me an extra check and control around the greens. While I might be out of control, the ball certainly isn't. So it's perfect for the Lynx Golf I'm accustomed to playing. Dean over at Seed keeps telling me to get my order in because they are selling like hotcakes. Aside from listening to this podcast today, if you can do one other thing for me, that would be fantastic. And that's check out The Golf House at The Golf HSE at Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, either of which is your preference. It's basically my dream to build a best in class, a fully holistic center, end to end center of excellence for everything you need under one roof to learn, introduce your kids or friends to golf, develop and perfect your own game um, and have that special place here in Ireland. We're putting together loads of different ideas, especially those we can do when we're not in isolation. We're talking workshops and clinics and golf days and merchandise and all that beautiful stuff to help us fund the bricks and mortar establishment. But one idea which we're doing in isolation is that of a golf and sports trivia quiz. So check out the profiles, check out the golf house on how to join and get some fun into your day and get away from all those Netflix and Amazon Prime box sets check it out tag your friends in the comments in the posts share it in the whatsapp groups let's build this community together this is paddy talks golf and fitness podcast on this week's episode we have a fitness specialist for once they are sporadic but they are included on the podcast when i can get them it is co-founder of super speed golf yes those speed sticks everybody seems to have pros alike phil mickelson's increase in his speed mike napoleon is on and gives us the ins and outs and roundabouts of super speed golf the programs what you can expect the gains why pros are using them but first get over to www.pettygolf.com join the timesheet i'm not sending out any spam or newsletters but once it gets to 500 people there'll be random giveaways so it's like free money people why wouldn't you join the timesheet now roll it there colette i mean listen we're talking about practice joe bradley told us the production line was finished in carry Wait, joe bradley what do you think it is Welcome to Pally Talks. On this week's episode, we have Mike Napoleon, co-founder of Super Speed Golf. Mike, how's it going? Well, it's going great. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's fantastic to have you. And thanks for taking the time. Considering we're all in isolation, everybody's looking to do things in their backyard. I have a spin bike. People have putting greens. People are mowing their lawns into little par trees. Um, but uh, Super Speed Golf is one thing that I think people can incorporate um, into what we're doing at home, not just during isolation, but throughout the year. But before we get to that, Mike, what, what would be your earliest golfing memory yourself? Uh, it's a pretty funny one, actually. So like when I, early on, like I'm talking, I'm probably six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in there, you know, I had like a little basic starter set of golf clubs. Um, and I loved like actually like playing golf around my house. And we had like a fairly large yard. So we could kind of you know, hit balls and make up different things about where to hit them and things like that. And it was, you know, just stuff kids do for fun. Um, 
vividly remember though like just absolutely ripping a seven iron through my neighbor's window so that was a that was a fun one had to go apologize for that so that's probably the first one that maybe got me over some of the stresses of golf or added to them i'm not sure which but that's definitely probably the first one i vividly remember no that's a good one that's a good one uh that kind of reminds me of me hitting balls in the backyard in in the country in ireland here and there's like a galvanized shed maybe 200 yards away Mm-hmm. And I was hitting, you know, your dull balls on the golf course and, you know, every evening, maybe in the summertime. And then one evening, um, like I hit the shed, you know, yeah. numerous times. Um, and then one evening our neighbor came up and he was like, um, do you want some of your golf balls back? I was like, what do you mean? But he said, my, the, the side of my shed is like a pepper tank from the war. What are you doing? <laughs> so I went down because the balls were going straight through the side of the shed. And we had to kind of pay some for some more galvanized steel for him to repair no, it. Come here to me. Um, Super Speed Golf. Um, how did that come about? Uh, so we actually owned a uh, golf performance academy in the Chicago area in the U.S. called Catalyst Golf Performance for about 10 years. Um, so one of the things that we did there was we really looked and tried to be as comprehensive as possible with every player that came in through our doors. Um, so part of that was, you know, we had a staff of physical professionals and medical professionals and golf coaches and equipment fitters and all those different things. And we were constantly in, you know, various different workshops and seminars and trying to find the new and the best stuff that was out there. And uh, we came across a type of training that was being done in baseball with these little weighted balls um, to increase arm velocity for Major League Baseball pitchers. And we looked at that. We said, look, there's something to this. We may be able to apply this to the golf swing. Um, There were some ideas about how to crudely do it. And we just kind of took that idea concept and ran with it. And about two years later, launched the Super Speed Golf products. And we had a lot of, uh, you know, we had amateur golfers. We had professional players. We had long drive athletes. We had all kinds of different people working with us at our academy. So we had a great area to be able to test what was really going on in the body during this training. Um, we also had the ability and, and we were very fortunate. We had all the different technology, um, from 3d motion capture to launch monitors and force systems, everything we needed to be able to really find out what was exactly going on and if it was helping people get better. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we started. Um, we tested a bunch of different weights and everything. And then the goal after that was just to make it as easy as possible for people so that, you know, it was easy to follow online instructions. It was an easy color-coded process to be able to, you know, go through and, and you know, do that training wherever you are. You know, you mentioned that you know, everybody's at home right now. So there are, you know, a limited number of things that you can do at your house, you know, to work on your golf game if you don't have a putting green in the back or you don't have a simulator. Um, so that was kind of our goal the whole time was to do something that we could make it as easy and simple for a player to be able to pick this up and get real improvement in their game um, in a really easy way to an easy process not a superb idea and i suppose everybody has training aids of of some degree um i have a couple of favorites um pels tutor uh, standard port and green um but something you can kind of categorize training aids into three three things right one is like the, the bathroom putting green, uh, which I think everybody gets at Christmas. Uh, so training is that don't work. Training is that kind of work. And then training is with science behind them. So you, you guys definitely fall into the, the latter. So can you describe, I suppose, if they're not just sticks that you swing, otherwise people can just take the, the heads off their drivers and, and whale away. Um, can you describe, I suppose, the, the training program that 
that you suggest with them and, and the cycle of it, if you can? Yeah, I, I think that's some of the difference that separates uh, what we've done with Superspeed than a lot of other training aid type gimmick products that have been out there. Um, the other piece there is just more on a learning aspect. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've done has been very based in like motor learning science as well, where we're trying to make sure that when a player picks up our product, you know, the product is actually fairly simple, right? It's just a, a, a golf club with a weight on the end of it that, you know, essentially has a specific amount of weight relative to a player's driver. And we can talk about that in a minute, but the training process and the protocols actually help players work on, you know, the neurological element of speed training with overspeed training, which is essentially making your body move faster than it normally does during the golf swing, which it already knows how to do in order um, really for your brain to start to expect a faster response speed from your body. So like, think of it this way. It's like having the, a governor on the engine of a car, right? Like, all of us as human beings are capable of producing much faster speed than we actually than we normally do. Um, our brain limits like how fast your body's able to respond for a lot of different reasons. But uh, we are actually significant capable of significant faster swing speed than we normally produce. Uh, what we're really doing with our training protocols is kind of taking that governor off the engine. So we're sort of proving to the system, proving to the brain that our body is capable of moving faster than normal during the golf swing. Um, so that's why you see like very kind of instantaneous results when you start doing this, because we're not making the player stronger. We're not changing the mechanics in any significant way. Um, we're really just helping that player access athleticism and speed capability that they already possess. No, absolutely. So I've used them in the past um, as part of maybe a lesson. Um, so you, I've seen my swing speed go from maybe 104, and then by the end of the session, I get to like 112. So maybe yeah. 5 to 8%. Um, and you know, and then we hit a couple of balls, and you can actually see that respective changing driving distance, and um, without any real effect on where, at the spray that the ball is going at, because my path and everything is the same. My body is just able to swing that bit faster. But in thank God. Um, but in terms of, we'll say, how long you should use them for? Is there a limit? Is it a four to six week thing, or is it a more an ongoing process? Yeah, so it works in like the the training works in a process of like you'll see a jump usually after the first time you do it. Then there's about a six to eight week phase that we call a normalization phase where you're sort of creating permanency in that speed gain. And then you'll enter a plateau phase after that where almost more of a maintenance phase. So for most players, you know, they actually do this becomes sort of a regular part of their routine over time, which I think is probably the best case scenario. But what we do recommend for people is that you you have to get through, you have to get into that fast first plateau phase before you've created some relative permanency in that speed gain that you've gotten. So at least like that six to eight week period, once you get into that plateau phase, a lot of cool things can happen there. You can actually reduce the frequency of the training down to once a week, even like twice a month, and you'll still maintain the gains. Um, but the other thing that a lot of people want is they want more gains after that. And we do find that usually about four to six months into the training, you'll see a secondary jump. So you'll see another jump in speed, usually of about three and a half percent on average. And then it'll go through another six to eight week normalization phase, and you'll enter another plateau. So that that process of jump normalization plateau actually 
uh, works and, and happens theoretically forever, you're going to get, you know, more jumps down the road. It's just, there's going to be some diminishing returns on how big the jumps are and how much time there will be in between them. Um, but what generally happens is after usually a year, year and a half worth of this training, we'll see that players stop trying to push for that little tiny percent gain that might jump that might happen. And this becomes a part of their normal preparation routine before a round, before this kind of thing. That's why you see a lot of tour players using them out at tournaments before before golf rounds. It's become a, a normal part of their preparation phase where they're just really getting um, that neurological system in their body just firing and ready and on a, a normal state before a round. So that, that's kind of the long term on this. But, I mean, just the protocols that we've built, I mean – we have about a year and a half worth of protocols on our website now that you can work through as a program start to finish with no breaks. So that turns into usually two to three years worth of training for people that might take a little bit of time off during some of those plateaus and, and then push back to it. So there is a lot of this, this product does work with you for a long time. Well, that's a fantastic walkthrough of, of, of kind of the, the training and the, what you can expect um, from, from a perceivable investment. I suppose they are relatively expensive. But they are also then tour vindicated. So you have, I suppose, anybody who's Googled it or Super Speed Golf would see that Phil Mickelson was an avid user, our own Graham McDowell, um, one of my favorites on tour, Xander Schofle, um, and the walk-in putter, Kevin Nah. So for our, you know, I think it's a couple of hundred dollars, which equates to over on this side of the pond, um, about the same in euros. So what would you say would be the perceived ROI of the investment Um of that so that's you know that's a scotty cameron yeah absolutely well yes but that you know how much is a new driver nowadays too like if you buy the new top of the line you know driver that just came out i mean it's usually about double what it costs to buy one of our training products and i would say that everybody's always you know searching for that new way to buy a new product or buy something a new club a new driver new golf balls or whatever they're trying to buy something that's going to help them hit the ball further you know we always tell people like maybe you know, spend that money on our training system instead and get real results and actually get out on the golf course and hit the ball 15 to 20 yards further instead of spending $500 or whatever on that brand new driver that you may or may not get an actual distance gain out of. You know, put in a little bit of that work, get something that's going to become a part of your normal golf training program, your golf practice program um, for a long time, and it'll show real results for years and help you maintain those speed gains for years to come after that. People would turn around and buy a Scotty Cameron, you know, if my Odyssey or whatever wasn't working or perceived to be not working. Um, but people, I often say, people ask me, oh, what driver should I get? I say, well, maybe you should buy 10 lessons instead. Yeah, absolutely. If you told somebody, I can, you know, basically guarantee you're going to hit the ball 15 yards further off the tee if you spend, you know, a few months really working on this process with this training system. I mean, if you told me that I could, it, it, there was anything in the world that would get me 15 yards off the tee, like money becomes much less of an object very quickly. No, absolutely. So in terms, we'll get into a bit of detail on the actual sticks themselves. So, um, so there's different weights involved. So we'll come at it as if I don't know anything about them. So what, what's in the pack? I have 200 bucks. I spend it online. What do I get? Yeah. So you're going to get a package that has three clubs in it. Okay. There's a, 
yeah, let's just use the the standard men's set as an example because there's sets for many different sizes, if you will, for juniors to you know senior ladies up through long drive professionals. But let's just say we buy the standard men's set. Um, that would be what you would buy if you play like a standard men's driver. It's approximately 315 grams in weight. So what you're going to get in that box is you're going to get three clubs. There's a green one, a blue one, and a red one. The green one's about 20% lighter than your standard, than your driver. The blue one's about 10% lighter than your driver. And the red one's about 5% heavier than your driver. Now, also, is you have access to all of the online training. So you're also getting access to two years worth of training with the, the system as well. So the physical product and then the access to all of that training, coaching, instruction that's online. Now. The way that's actually going to work, though, when you start is, is what happens is this. Let's say you go out and you hit some golf balls um, on a launch monitor. And you see that your club speeds 100 miles an hour when you're uh, hitting golf balls before the session. Then you're going to start our level one training protocol. So the level one training protocol is going to involve um, swinging all three of those clubs um, with some different drill positions and, and whatnot. You can see on the website if you go look at that. Um, but what you're going to see is that with that green club, you can actually swing that green club that's 20% lighter than your driver as much as 18 to 19% faster than your normal swing speed. So if you're measuring that with a little radar and looking at that, when you're in the training, we'll see players on average swinging that, you know, if they started at 100 miles an hour, they'll swing that green club usually about 118 to 119 miles an hour. That's a lot faster. Now, what's happening physiologically is your brain's starting to remember that faster reaction speed of the body, and it's starting to expect it. So then we immediately, after just a handful of swings, go to the next club up, the blue one, which is a little bit heavier. It's still lighter than your driver, but a little bit heavier than the green one. And now what your brain's doing is it's, it's expecting this 118, 119 mile an hour swing speed. Now, because there's a little bit more weight, a little more resistance, you're not going to get the full 118, 119, but we'll still see you usually around 115 to 116. Then we'll move to the red club. That red club's actually 5% heavier than that player's driver. Now, with that, we'll still see during the training, they'll be swinging that on average 110 to 112 miles an hour. So even though it's a little heavier, you're still swinging it a lot faster. And that, that was where we knew there was something to this training, because if we just gave you that red club first, we'd actually see that it would decrease your swing speed by six or seven percent um, because the opposite's true, right? More load, it's going to be harder to move it fast. But because we do that neurological reset with those two light clubs and the protocols, we can still maintain those faster speeds with that red club that's a little heavier. Then we're going to go back to the green club and we're going to do another drill position called a step change of direction swing. We'll do some swings with the green, then the blue, then the red, and then we'll finish off with a few of the light swings. And if you swing and hit balls right after you do that speed training session, on average, we'll see a 5% gain in swing speed right then after that first session takes about six to eight weeks of regular practice for that to become permanent. And regular practice isn't that, um, that huge of a time commitment. It's really just um, three days a week with a full day off in between going through that five to eight minute training protocol. Excellent stuff, 100%. You've actually nailed off a couple of questions people had, like how often you should use the sticks and how much recovery. So you've covered that. Um, and is it a good idea to hit balls? Is it a good idea to hit like... A full bucket of balls or like five to ten would you recommend? I mean, honestly, most people that start this are going to be pretty tired right after they do that protocol. You know, even though it's only five to eight minutes, I mean, 
neurological training like this is all about maximum intensity on every single rep that you do during that training session. So it is a pretty like tiring five to six minutes. Um, I usually like to have people just hit a few balls afterwards just to kind of see the result. Certainly not necessary. I definitely wouldn't stand there and just bang out a whole bucket of golf balls after that. What would be more effective is to do your speed training as a part of your practice session take a break, maybe go work on some short game, then come back and work on your like skills or uh, ball flight control or mechanics program at, at just like a separate segment. What if you have a varied swing speed? So I don't really know how fast I swing it. Some days I swing it fast. Some days I walk, I get out of the bed and I'm a bit tight and I swing it maybe at 95. Is that, is that an issue? Or it sounds like that uh, super speed might actually help regulate that. Would that be right? One of the things that I would say there is that, you know, we actually don't see that that happens very much. So, you know, again, this motion is all controlled by a motor program in our brain. And one of the main concepts scientifically that you look at when you start to look at motor learning and motor programs is the the um, result of that motor program becomes a pretty normal thing. Um, now, yes, will there be some variance? Like if you're especially if you're like getting out of bed and having pain, that's one that can cause a major um, change in the reaction of a motor program. But if you're not in pain and you're not purposely trying to do anything wildly different than normal, uh, you know, we actually see that the, uh, there's a fairly consistent response to a motor program, especially when you're doing something as complex as a driver. I mean, as a swing coach, I would say, you know, and I think other people might have seen this too. If you use a launch monitor a lot of times, like if I'm standing in a lesson with somebody and I ask him to hit five drivers and let's say it's at 105 miles an hour, and then I ask him, you know, okay, give me 80% on this next one. It never goes down by 20%. It might go down a mile an hour. It might stay the same. And then if I ask him to really like, you know, gear up and try to try to get after one, you know, most of the time they don't really know how to do that or how to create more speed. So sometimes that even makes it go down by a mile an hour. But the point I'm making is it generally will stay pretty much the same um, as a, as a normal response to that motor program. That's actually what we're doing with overspeed training is we're trying to reset or increase that normal expected reaction speed to the motor program in the golf swing. Um, you know, one of the reasons that works is that it is a pretty consistent response speed beyond that. I saw at the, well, I wasn't there, but I, I saw from the media pack afterwards, um, not that I'm in the media, but I saw it online basically, that you launch a new product, uh, mm-hmm. Super Speed C. So if I go on, I, I want to buy some sticks. What is the difference between yeah, standard so, and, and the C model? Yeah. So the normal overspeed training system, um, you know, has the three clubs in the pack. Uh, one of the things that we continue to do research on, you know, years, you know, for the last few years after we did is we always are looking at what are the actual results that we're getting. And we look at that on a lot of different ground reaction systems. We also look at that on a lot of 3D motion capture systems. And one of the things that we've always seen as a big increase for players has been, you know, their ability to use the ground more efficiently. So increases in peak vertical force, increases in um, timing of pressure transfer, those sort of things tend to be something that happens when they go through our training protocols with those. And then on 3D, we'd also see faster rotational velocities in the uh, pelvis, the torso, basically the big muscles of the body. And and those rotational velocity changes were like 12 to 15%. So we always thought that was a really a positive thing that was happening for the player biomechanically. 
Uh, we'd also see a jump in arm speed and like the hand club area speed in, on those systems. But that number was always more down around that like five to 6% gain re- range. So we started looking at ways that we could try to get the hand and arm speed segments to match the gains we were getting in the big muscle segments of the body. Um, And one of the things that we did along that time researching was something called counterweight training. So essentially counterbalancing a golf club by putting a lot of weight behind the player's hands, which changes the physics of the way the club works during the swing arc. Um, Mainly around the point where the clubs are starting to release, it allows for a much greater acceleration right down through that impact area um, with that significant counterweight um, that's on the C club. Uh, than with a normal golf club. And what we started to find with that is that whether it was a player that had never done this before at all, or it was a player that had been doing our normal overspeed training for a while, um, we were starting to see that that kind of consistent 12 to 15% gain in hand and arm speed, uh, release speed, release factor on the golf swing when we were using those counterweight systems. So we launched the the C club as its own separate independent training system has its own protocols, which are slightly different than the normal overspeed protocols because they're more targeted at hand and arm speed increase in the golf swing. So it can be done completely on its own as its own separate system. Cause is it still going to work on the big muscle stuff? Absolutely. It is um, maybe just it, it's more targeted hand and arm speed where the overspeed training stuff's, we see bigger results in the body segments there. So we'd also say that theoretically the optimal program would be to use the two training systems together um, to kind of max out all of those areas. But one way or another, it's kind of its own separate entity that can also be used in combination with the the, uh, standard overspeed training system. There's a lot of swings involved in various positions. Um, So how would you prepare your body for a session? Should you just go straight into it or would you recommend doing some stretches beforehand? No, absolutely. Um, I'd actually recommend more of like an activation um, dynamic warm-up type of a protocol. We actually have that on our website. So on all the protocol pages, you'll see a warm-up program that's before because obviously speed training is not a warm-up. So we'd recommend that type of activation sort of program. Stretching is kind of a difficult topic to look at. You know, there's a lot of research out there about what effects stretching has before a workout, Um, especially when we're starting to deal with neuromuscular type work that we're doing with with overspeed training. Um, There is some research that shows that like elongating muscle tissue elongate also elongate some of the nerve connections in there so it can kind of a kind of a funky effect if you will when you're starting to try to work on speed um now we definitely want muscles becoming active we want joints becoming lubricated um we so we want some activity motion get some blood pumping in the body and then activating muscles and making sure muscles are actually functioning and activated in the body before we do this training um so yes, we definitely recommend warming up. So I think some of that is going to become more personal to each player on how much mobility or stretching work they may need to do to optimally then do immediately after that do neurological speed training. Um, for some people, there might be more of that that's needed. For some, there's going to be a lot less. For everybody, we would definitely want the activation piece to be a major component. No, absolutely. That's something actually myself and my Carl um, Fit for Golf on Instagram went through about, you know, how should we uh, warm up before a round of golf? And he was all about, well, it's about muscle activation. 
So it's air, it's it's squats, it's air squats, it's and um, thoracic rotations, nothing static, you know. Um, because his 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 interpretation is, um, if you do isolated stretching, that can actually lead to injury when you actually activate the muscles around it. So, yeah, um, I'm not a I'm I'm not a fitness professional or medical professional. Yeah. I'm a golf coach, but I've been around a lot of those people, and I know from my experience that there's some mixture of all of it that's probably optimal but that's going to change from player to player so absolutely it's hard to give a like just absolute piece there um i do think that and we are doing some research currently that's showing that there are some ways to let's say accelerate even the gains that you can get with the neurological training um more by using something we call overload training um, which is more of a priming of the system, if you will. It's like a, a muscle activation, motor unit activation priming or preparation um, prior to doing overspeed training. So uh, we had a study come out actually um, in the baseball world with some of our baseball products uh, where we had players go through a warm-up and then overspeed training. Um, we got about consistent with what we normally see in baseball, about a 6% gain in bat speed. But then we also had other athletes that did a warm up. Then they did an overload activation program. So that's going to be like ballistic movements, um, some like deadlifts, squats, and then some like slams with like a, a Dynamax ball, that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And theoretically, what that's going to do is activate more motor units in the body. So getting the neurological system primed with more activation and then had those players go through the overspeed training immediately following that. And we actually saw like nine and ten percent gains in that group. So, not enough data yet to be proven, but there's some really good clinical results so far that we're seeing um, that adding in that overload prep period before you do the speed training could be one of the most optimal ways to do this. Brilliant! That's fantastic. And um, I have two more questions, and then we'll get into our um, famous quickfire Q and A. So, um. Something I spotted last week, and I'm sure hundreds upon thousands of people spotted it, was Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, and a couple others swinging left-handed, so non-dominant side, and and swinging at speeds almost equ equal to their standard right-hand um, side swings. Yeah. And something that's part of your um, training protocol is actually the non-dominant side. So why is that? Yeah, non-dominant training is in every one of our protocols that we have ever released. Um, I actually say that non-dominant training is one of the most effective ways to increase your dominant side biomechanics than anything else that's out there. Um, big pieces there, obviously muscle activation, because you're going to be using muscles that you hadn't used before because you've never swung on your non-dominant side. Um, balances out like the different muscle slings in the body and gets that working a little more efficiently. Um major pieces also to like injury prevention. You know, we get a lot of overuse kind of injuries in golf because all we do is swing one way really ballistically all the time. Um, so that's one of the things that I think is very big. Non-dominant training is really important. Um, as far as why or how they're able to swing at the same speed on their non-dominant side as their dominant, I'm not sure that I am shocked by that at all. Um, we did a survey actually of like the last 50 years of 
of players in Major League Baseball um, in the U.S. that uh, were switch hitters. So they actually did compete swinging both on the dominant and non-dominant side. Across the board, those players always had more power, more power numbers on their non-dominant side and generally hit for average a little bit better on their dominant side. Um, but this isn't just in baseball. I mean, this goes through, if you look at like world long drive competitors, a lot of them, especially a lot of the guys from Canada that were all hockey players before they were, um, uh, before they were trying to do long drive, you know, that'd be like your Jason Zubek's, your Jamie Sidlowski's, those kind of guys, mm-hmm. all of them would swing a hockey stick, uh, left-handed and then would go to swing a golf club right-handed, if you will. Um, there's a lot of players out there that are also crossed dominant. I mean, Phil Mickelson's actually right-handed. Jordan Spieth's left-handed, um, but they all swing non-dominant to their dominant side. If we look at that specifically from a mechanics, biomechanics side, um, there's a lot. There's an easy explanation for this. So one of the main pieces in our our swing that allows for efficient rotational speed transfer from one segment to the next is going to be how aggressively the segment below is able to stabilize when the next segment fires. Okay, so if you think about that, if you're trying to create torso speed, if you if you don't have a stable pelvis below your torso for the muscles of your core to grab onto when the torso starts to fire, you're going to have an inefficiency in the amount of rotational speed that you can get from that one segment to the next. So then you get, so enter non-dominant swings. The muscles that stabilize the pelvis are generally in the lead side of our golf swing, right? So that's going to be if I'm a right-handed golfer, my left side. Well, when I make a non-dominant golf swing, I'm going to be loading into my left side, activating all the muscles, coordinating all of the muscles in that left side of my body as I'm loading the swing. And then when I go back to my dominant side swing, because there's more muscle activation, more coordination there, I'm able to stabilize that the pelvis better, which allows for more uh, torso speed. And this happens up the chain through all the segments. Um, but yeah, non-dominant training is one of the most important things you can get out there. And um, most people, professionals, amateurs alike, within the first couple months of training will be within a couple miles an hour of the same speed on their dominant side and non-dominant side. And a lot of those, as they progress further through the training, will actually see that their non-dominant swings become faster than their dominant side. A more a relatively easier question to answer. So for anybody listening, where can you get super speed golf in the UK and Ireland, this side of the water? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website, superspeedgolf.com. And then I believe there's also that you can just choose your region when you get there. But I believe the direct link is superspeedgolf.co.uk. Um, would be the uh, direct one for the UK. But I mean, we actually do warehouse product in the UK, so it's easy for uh, you guys to get that locally. Um, also, a lot of different golf courses, golf shops, all of those around the country also sell those. So you know, all, your local golf shop may, may already be carrying these products. Um, but yeah, probably the easiest would be to go online to the website, and then you can order those and they ship directly from the UK. Fantastic. So everybody in isolation will be using the website. Um, so order today and you should get them in a couple of days and start training out the back um, or in the spare room if it's raining. Um, thank you very much for your time, Mike. We'll go straight into our quickfire Q&A. So are you ready for this? Go for it. <laughs> what would your walk-on song be? Uh, I'm kind of an old school fan. I mean, like like the Rocky Balboa stuff. I'd go Eye of the Tiger. Super. Jim or Pizza. Oh, that depends on the day. 
you know, if I'm feeling up to it, it's probably going to be the gym. But, you know, there are definitely those occasions when pizza would win. I like to say I eat clean between pizzas. So, um, hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you prefer wearing a hat, a visor, or a bucket hat? I'm just a normal baseball cap kind of person. Very good. Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Oh, that's like two of the greatest ever. I'd have to go with Happy Gilmore, though. I mean, that is kind of. I mean, I'm, we're the speed guys, right? Like, that's a lot more fun to look at. Uh, uh, you know, bombing the ball 400 yards than trying to stay in control out on the golf course. Absolutely. Would you be a Guinness, Heineken, or an iced tea type of guy? Oh, I'm a Guinness person for sure. Fantastic. We'll have to get you some. Um, Le Hinge or Port Marnock? Now, they're both courses in Ireland, so which would you pick? Um, actually, we have um, Port Marnock on our list for the trip that I'm looking to go to in the first week of June, if, it, if we're able to go. So I've always been looking forward to playing that place. Fantastic. Would you prefer to walk or cart when you play? My favorite is is walking with a caddy, actually. You know, I think... I think that's something that we miss a lot of times, you know, in most golf around the world. But I, I feel like that process of being able to have like a teammate out on the golf course to be able to go over shots with and strategy. Um, I've always played my best golf when I'm there with a cat. Absolutely concur with that. I only have ever had a caddy twice in my life. Once in the old course in St. Andrews and once in Tralee in Kerry. And the first time I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know what to do for the first three or four holes. But by God, did I get used to it quickly? It's fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the fastest way I can improve my game is just to have somebody there to stop me from doing stupid stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, would you prefer to win the Masters or win the Open? I go with the Masters. I mean, it's just, I don't know. There's something about that one that, and not to mention also being able to get back and play Augusta whenever you want would be pretty fun. That'd be That'd be pretty epic. Would you rather drive it 300 yards every time or never miss a putt inside 10 feet? Oh, man, I mean, that's a that's such a weighted question there. I mean, look, I mean, if you're looking at score, driving is actually going to improve every aspect of your game faster than putting. But that's because missing, that's because not missing every putt inside of 10 feet is completely unrealistic. A little bit. Instagram or Twitter, which is your preference? Instagram, thank goodness, because I have a great team that runs it for our company. Brilliant. And the last one, play or practice? What type of guy are you? Oh, I would go play every every day instead of practice. I would say that I'd probably learn more by getting out on the golf course and playing than I ever would standing on driving range. Super stuff. Mike, Napoleon, thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to hosting you in the Emerald Isle when we're all able to meet each other again. Yeah, looking forward to getting out there. I hope it works out and everybody, you know, stay safe, stay at home and um, try to find those creative ways to keep getting better. That was Mike Napoleon, co-founder of Super Speed Golf. Really good insight into what the Super Speed Golf set is all about. The protocols, the program, the training, the return on your possible investment. So maybe don't get that driver or putter and invest in your swing speed. Um, do so of course with the advice from your coaches maybe your doctor as well just to be sure depending on your age it is suitable for all ages and all handicaps 
and they do junior sets, men's sets, ladies' sets, and senior sets. Check them out, www.superspeedgolf.co.uk. And if you're in America, superspeedgolf.com. If you have enjoyed these podcasts, please do leave a review wherever you're listening to it. Do check out at the Golf House Trivia Sports Quiz. It's all around the Masters this Sunday, so please join in. Check out the profiles on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz about how to join in. We'd love to see you there. It's a bit of crack. It's about half an hour. Thank you for pressing play. Please share this show with your family and friends. Until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. Paddy.